today, I'm going to continue in the third part of this series. I'm going to talk about the principle of first, the principle of first. Now, nothing really works if we don't get this principle right. This is probably the most important of all the messages that I'm going to share on because if God's not first, it doesn't matter what you do, nothing else will get into the right order. But if God is first, then everything else will fall into the right order. And so you can do a lot of things, but you got to do the right things at the right time in the right order. And that's what I want to talk about this morning when we say the principle of the first. It's the key to living the blessed life. And I want to dive into 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm going to go through verse 8 through 14. Now, if you're new to Christianity or maybe this part of the Bible, the Old Testament and 1 Kings, let me set it up for you. Uh, The Israelites are experiencing a famine. And the reason that is, is because there is a drought. If you go on to read later in this passage, there'll be three and a half years with no rain. Where we pick up in the scripture, it's actually six months into that drought. And so the people are experiencing the pain of a famine. They're experiencing what it means to not really have water. And it's starting to get really tough on the people. And we see a prophet. His name is Elijah. He steps up on the scene. And he does something that's very unusual. He goes to a poor woman and he asks her to give him some sustenance. Uh, You would think that that man of God could go to anybody, but why go to a poor widow who's trying to provide for her and her son? I'm going to pull out some principles and some things that I think will speak to us in this passage this morning. It says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. He arrives at the gates of the village. He saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little bit of water in a cup? Now, remember, this is pretty significant because he's asking her for something valuable. How I many you know if you're in a drought, a cup of water is valuable? I want you to know God's never going to ask you for something that has little to no value. When God speaks to us and asks us to give things whether it's a way or give our time or energy or effort, he's going to ask us for something that has great value in our life. And so here we see the prophet saying, look, can I just have a cup of water? And as she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house and I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was going to go gather some sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I were going to die. I mean, no, that's a dire situation. Those words just being uttered out of her mouth can tell you how desperate she is. Has anybody ever felt desperate? Has anybody ever been at that place in your life where the, the, the repo man is coming? You've been parking your car, but it ain't at your house. It's about four blocks over, and you walk into your house because you know someone's trying to come get your car because you're late on the payments. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever had those phone calls of, ma'am, I need you to pay the mortgage. I need you to catch up on your bills. And you begin to feel this desperation. Maybe you're in your life right now and you don't have money for groceries or clothes for your kids. But there's situations in your life that call this desperation out of your hearts. Where this is where she's like, I'm going to die. I'm done. But to Elijah, look at what he says. He says, do not be afraid. And that's what I've found. 
The enemy tries to make us afraid when we face famines in our life. The enemy tries to come in just as God opens up an opportunity. Many times we miss the opportunity, not because God didn't present it, but because fear stopped us to step forward in that opportunity. So the man of God addresses it right up front. He says, listen, don't be He says, go ahead, do what you've said. Go do it. That's good. But make a little bread for me. Now, look at this next word. First. Everybody say that word. First. I mean, can you imagine what the headlines would read today in a tabloid? Man of God robs widow of last morsel. You know, something stupid. It's like, you're telling me before she gets to feed her son who's starving, before she's going to eat and she's starving, you're telling me to feed you first. Yes, that's what he's saying. Then he says, look, then go use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. See, what he's teaching her is, look, he is a man, but that man represents God. God always requires the first and the best. And look, he says... Then you go make a meal for yourself, your son, for this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Here's the promise that's attached to obedience. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time the Lord sends rain and crops grow again. Isn't that awesome? And that's what we understand today, that God gives promises that when we obey his word, he gives us promises that we can hold on to so that as we take a step of faith, we don't do it in our own efforts. We don't do it in our own ability. We say, God, I trust your word. I maybe can't see it in the natural, but I believe it. And because I believe it, I'll obey it. I mean, I can imagine this widow saying, look, God, man of God, I'll give to you, just not in the middle of a famine. Like, I I don't mind making you some food, but yo, can you just wait till there's some rain and we've got some grain and some oil? Like, have you ever told God, God, I'll give, but the timing's not right? Like, hey, God, have you seen my bank account? Like, I I know I've been there. I've had God speak to me. Every legacy, this last legacy offering last year, I remember talking to Phyllis saying, hey, I feel like God spoke to me. And that doesn't surprise her. I said, no, it's this, but it's bigger than what, it's this. And and then you go compare your bank account and you look and you're like, God, are you sure? Anybody ever been there? It's like, have you seen what I actually have? And this is what I realized. God don't care what you have. He just wants to know, will you let it go? Will you release what's in your hands so he can bless us through the famine that we're experiencing in our lives? It's a setup. And and we know as Christians, look, if you're brand new to the faith, I just need you to know that Christianity is counterintuitive to what we would normally do. Think about the Bible. It's full of illustrations. Look, you want to be the greatest? Go serve. Well, that's not what the world says. The world says go climb the ladder and then make everybody serve you. It's not God's system. Oh, God says you want to receive? Give. And then you'll receive. Press good measure, press down, shaking together. But you got to give to receive. You know, the, the Bible says you want to be refreshed? Listen to what Psalm says. Then refresh others. Oh, you mean I refresh others and then God is the source of my refreshment. It's amazing. That's how the Bible works. And so for us, God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And so when you see this, I'm always looking at the Bible through the lens of God. Why would you send Elijah to the widow? Right? God could have sent Elijah to a rich man. 
Like, wouldn't that have been easier? Like, send him to the rich man. He's got plenty of supplies. Maybe a rich woman. She's got plenty of supplies. But God sends Elijah to this poor widow, not for Elijah, but for the widow. You say, what, pastor? No, no. It's not for Elijah. It was for the widow. It's for her to take a step of faith, for her to believe, for her to obey. And then when she obeys and takes a step of faith, it's amazing the miracle she experiences in her life. Look, I, I want to show you. you. You probably don't believe me, but I, I just want to show you two instances where God didn't need this widow to provide for Elijah because Elijah needed it. It was for the widow. Look, in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 6, before he ever goes to this widow, God provides for Elijah through ravens. Look, it says the ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. Supernaturally, think about dirty birds. Anybody like ravens? Ravens are ugly and nasty and dirty. And yet God's going to cause those scavengers to feed the man of God supernaturally. After he visits the widow, look at how God provides. This is 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 5. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel. Everybody say an angel. angel. So you got ravens providing. And then here you've got an angel actually touches him and tells him, look, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside him was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. How many would like to have some angels feeding you some hot cakes? So what's your point, Pastor? Elijah didn't go there for Elijah. Elijah went there because God wanted to do a miracle in this widow's life. And the way he does it is through obedience and giving and allowing God to take what was given and multiply it back into your life. I need you to know that sometimes miracles come knocking on your door in the form of opportunities to give. We miss it. It's like, God, I need, and he's like, yes, but you got to get that seed in the ground. It's the legacy offering and the heart for the house. And I've seen it time and time in my life that when God wants to do something, it shows up in the form of an opportunity to give. I was reminded this week we were in Alabama with ARC, which is the Association of Related Churches. We were coaching 23, 24 church planners. We had one of them here with us in the first service. They're planting Brave Church in Missouri City. You guys as a church are sowing into them, and it's amazing to coach them. But I was thinking about some of the stories that got us to where we are today. See, it's great. We see all the people showing up. There's money coming in. But I need you to know there was a day when there were nine people sitting in my living room. We didn't have the money to launch a church. We didn't have the people to launch a church. We didn't have anything but a hope and a prayer and a word from God. And I'll never forget in January of 2013, and we're getting ready to launch this church in March. We needed $25,000 to put down on the first deposit of our equipment when we launched in the movie theater. And guess how much money I had in the bank? $1,000. Woo! I had seven days to come up with $25,000. But you know what I told God? I said, this ain't my church. This is your church. I need you to talk to me. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to pray? Do you want me to fast? I mean, I was already praying, but I'll pray some more and I'll, fa I'll fast some more. And you know what I heard God say? I want you to give that $1,000 that's in your bank account away. Now, I don't know about you, $1,000, it doesn't sound like a whole lot, but I need you to know at the time, it was like a million dollars. I'm like, it's all the money I got. 
So I felt like I was talking to God and just had this conversation. I'm like, God, I don't know if that's responsible. I don't know if it's wise. So I turned to the Holy Spirit herself, Phyllis, and, <laughs> and said, hey, baby, I feel like the Lord said to give. And I, our last, okay, I need you to know it's our last $1,000 away. And she said, let's do it. What we got to lose? I'm like, you're right. So I felt like the Lord said, I want you to write a $1,000 check. I want you to go to ARC, which is the Association of Related Churches. We're going up there for our assessments to be, to be uh, certified as church plant through ARC. But don't put a name on that check. And I'm like, okay. So I wrote a check, put it in my back pocket. We go. It's in my wallet. Didn't think anything of it. Never forget, day two of the assessment. I meet this couple, Chris Duncan. Carrie Duncan. In fact, I told the story to their son that I met in Alabama who I'd never met until last week. So we go up there and I told Phil, I said, I think this is the, the guy that God wants us to give this $1,000 to. But, but you know, would you just go say hi, get to know them, see if there's any red flags? Because if there's a red flag, I'm taking that check and we're going back home, baby. <laughs> you know, just, she said, I think that's the couple. We sowed $1,000. Within seven days, God brought $25,000 cash supernaturally. Like I didn't have a game plan. I didn't have a strategy. I didn't have 10 meetings set up. Just supernaturally, the deposit came in. Why? Because God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And if we could break this mentality that's like, oh, it's, it's, it's hoarding this stuff. Like I've got to hold on to it. I can't believe the church would take up an offering. I can't believe God would ask me to give and recognize that God is trying to do something supernatural that only he can do but only comes through obedience. It's obedience. And the thing that's amazing is he's not just trying to provide for you. He's trying to protect you. Look in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 21. You go on to read the story. Her son actually dies. And what we see is that her giving created proximity to the man of God that would pray and have her son resurrected. Look at what happens. It says, and he, talking of Elijah, stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. And the Lord heard, look at this, not her prayer, not anyone else's prayer, but Elijah's prayer. And the life of the child returned and he revived. And this is what you got to go back to. Do you think God knew this child was going to die later? Absolutely. So it wasn't just about providing in the famine, but it was about resurrecting the thing that would die. And the amazing thing is that as you give in the church and you connect to the thing that God's called you to be a part of, not only will he provide, but when that relationship dies, when that son or daughter leaves and walks away from God, when you're fired, when it seems hopeless, the very thing that can resurrect your life, you've been connected to because you've given. It's way more than just provision. God wants to bring protection, and we get robbed of that because we're not looking through the filter that God sees it through. Tithing brings both God's provision and his protection in our life. Look at Malachi 3.10. If you've been around church, you've heard this many times. It's really the tithing chapter and passage. But look, I just want to point out the provision and protection part. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Try me in this, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I'll not open for you the windows of heaven. What is that? That's provision. God's going to provide. 
It says, pour out for you such a blessing that you'll not have room enough to receive it. And then here, look at the protection. And I will rebuke the devourer. What's that mean? That means he's going to protect what God has given to you. Some of you, God's blessed you, but the problem is your pockets have got holes in it. The blessings of God keep leaving your life, not because God hasn't blessed you, but because the the devourer hasn't been rebuked. We hadn't put God first and seen his provision and his protection in our life. And then it's like, well, God, where did it go? Well, the devourer has come to steal, kill, and to destroy our lives. You know, you think about it. Why don't people tithe? Why don't people give? Why don't people listen when God tells them to do it? It's because they're afraid. It goes back to what Elijah said to her. What did he say? Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Giving's really a test of faith. Now I want to shift gears. I want to go to the first recorded place in the Bible of people giving offerings to God. We see this in the story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel are Adam and Eve's boys. Theologians actually believe that they're twins. And so I don't know if we can prove that out or not. But what we do have a record of is that two brothers gave to God. Both had different hearts. And both of their offerings were received in different ways by God. So I'm going to go into Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 through 8. And I want to pull out a few things for you this morning. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, so they were intimate. It says, And she conceived and bore Cain and said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. And then she bore again. This time his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep. So in other words, he was a rancher. Abel ranched uh, sheep. And it says, Cain was a tiller of the ground, so he was a farmer. It says, And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. So both of them gave. Both of them took a portion of what they had. And yet it says, One was accepted and one was not. It says, And Cain was very angry. And his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? So why are you pouting? Got any powders in here? My granny says I was a powder. I don't know what she's talking about. Granny, I'm not a powder. Right, Phyllis? (laughs) Why are you laughing, Addison? His countenance had fallen. And it says, if you do well. So in other words, see, you can imagine Cain is frustrated. He's like, I gave God. I mean, I don't understand. I took a portion of what I had and I gave it. But the problem is, it's not about tipping God. It's about doing God's system the way God created it. And sometimes you can come in, you can be frustrated. You're like, God, I gave. God, I did this. And then you don't feel the blessing of God. And then we begin to blame. And that's what we see here. He says, look, if you do not do well, won't you be accepted? Like, if you do well, won't you be accepted? In other words, don't look at your brother Abel. Take responsibility for your own actions. He says, if you don't do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel's brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. So what we see is that one brother, Abel, does it God's way, the first fruit 
of his livestock. It was the very first, the best. Cain just gives a portion. He just did what he wanted, how he wanted it. And I think for us this morning, we got to figure out what's the difference between Cain and what's the difference between Abel. Now, let's take a look at Cain's heart. In Jude chapter 11, we can get a glimpse of the heart of Cain. Because, right, if we can get to the heart, we can figure out the action. It's all about the heart. So it says, what sorrow awaits them? For they follow in the footsteps of Cain. So nothing but sorrow, trouble, follow those who follow in the footsteps of Cain. Who killed his brother like Balaam, they deceived people for money. Now when you deceive people for money, the root, which is what we want to get to, is greed. Everybody say greed. Greed says, look, I just want more. More. You're never satisfied. Have you ever been blessed? And it's like... I'm good now, but then now you keep one more. You're like, I thought that would satisfy me. I thought it would be the new house, the new car, the whatever. Greed just says, I want more. And then look what he says. And like Korah, they perish in the rebellion. So greed and rebellion. Now rebellion just says, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it my way. Like, God, I'm going to do what you said to do, but I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it my way, whether it's because it's convenient, whether because I don't believe you. Maybe you're just not important. It doesn't matter. You should be happy with what you're getting. At least you're getting something. And this is what we see with Cain. He did what he wanted, when he wanted it, and how he wanted it. And isn't that a picture of sometimes what we do here in our lives? God, I'll do something, but I'm going to do it on my terms. God, I'll do something, but I want it to be convenient and comfortable for me. And the problem is God doesn't bless your way. He blesses his way. It's so interesting that instead of taking responsibility for his actions, he begins to blame. I mean, that's really the hardest thing about it. See, I find in my life... If I can blame Phyllis in my marriage, now I'm a victim. I don't have to work on me. Come on, somebody, husbands and wives. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, yeah. It's like the counselor. I never forget, we're sitting in the counseling, and, and you know, we're just sitting there. We're having some passionate conversation, and we're like, we need some resolution on this topic. Anybody ever needed some help in resolution? Is it just us? We're just a little messed up. So we're sitting there, and I, I look at the counselor. She's wrong. Like, she's, she's, have you ever said you're the problem? Like, if you would get fixed, y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. Your spouse is like, that's him. You know what my counselor told me? He said, Jim, you can only take responsibility for what you do. Jim, when are you going to change? Well, I don't want to change. Like, you know, this is what I tell him. I'll change when she changes. Come on, somebody. (laughs) I'll change when she changes. Well, then the problem is I'm a victim. Now it's all about them. And what we understand, this is what's happened with Cain and Abel. It's like, God, look, if you didn't accept his, then mine would have been okay. And God's like, no, baby, it would still not be okay because you're not doing my system the way I created, which means I'm not the priority in your life. And God will never sit on the throne of your heart as number two. He wants to be number one. So no matter what you do outside of that, God's like, that's great, but that's, you, that's not me in your life. You're just, that's religion. And so the challenge here is that Cain never took responsibility for the rebellion that was inside of his heart. Whatever, whenever, however. And you know, I've had people over the years, we've been doing this six and a half years, they're like, Pastor, I give I just give whatever I feel led to give, whenever I feel led to give. And, and here's, here's my challenge. If you're talking about a legacy offering or heart for a house offering, that's great. 
But I would still tell you, you still ought to ask God, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to get involved? Why? Because what you have doesn't belong to you. Psalm says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So everything I have belongs to him. So even with that, it's if you feel led to do it. But really what we're talking about here, the reason why Cain wasn't accepted was not really offerings. It was tithes. It was the principle of giving God the first and the best. And I need you to know that tithing is not about feelings. If you want to feel led, I'll put a lead bullet in your pocket so that when you give, you can feel led. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Like, you don't have to feel led when it comes to tithing. It's all throughout the scripture. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. And I could give you dozens of scriptures to prove the principle of tithing. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. With the first fruits of your crops. Someone says, well, I'm not a farmer. No, that was the currency of their day. They were in agriculture. No, but you're an employee or an employer. The way you have uh, is not crops. What you have is not crops. It's money. We get paid in money. We give our time. We give our life. And in exchange, we get money. So we give God the first fruits of our income. Look at Exodus 23, 19. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. Where do you bring tithes? To the house of God. It's how he set it up. And this is what I love. It's not about a feeling. It's not about if you think it or like it or don't like it. It's about obedience. And Cain knew what he needed to do, but he chose not to obey God's principle, which is why God rejected his offering. And he began to blame his brother and everybody else instead of taking responsibility for his action. So the heart of Cain is full of greed and rebellion. What's the heart of Abel? Abel's heart was full of faith. Said the Lord accepted Abel's offering. He believed God, so he did it God's way. You know, if you're going to please God, I mean, you just got to do it God's way. And I'm okay, and God's okay if you don't like it or agree with it or necessarily feel it. Obedience is not predicated on feeling. I mean, no, obedience is predicated on a choice. God, I choose to do what you've called me to do. And it really takes faith. Look at what it says in Hebrews eleven four. It was by faith. Everybody say faith. That Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. So in other words, he did it God's way. And it took faith. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. So in other words, saying, look, the way he gave, it was an example for all of us. He gave God his first and his best. He tithed. And so that's why God approved his offerings. And I need you to know, look, I've tithed my whole life. I was telling the first service I'm grateful. I was raised in a Christian home. Never thought I'd be a pastor. I'm so honored to be your pastor and be doing this. I always thought I'd be a businessman, you know, just had an entrepreneurial spirit, but I guess that's what church planning is all about. Um, and I remember at age 12, my mom would give us money to go into the children's department, 10, 11. And it started with just giving us a dollar, go put this in the offering in the children's ministry. Well, by the time I was 14, I had a full-time job. I worked every Saturday. I worked through the summers. And I just learned to tithe the first portion. I guess as a teenager, I really didn't wrestle with it. I just trusted God. But what's amazing is you can look through my life. 
the entirety of my life. And I have been more blessed than people that have made millions and millions of dollars. We started a business at 17 and 18 and owned seven properties. By the time I was 19, we opened a restaurant. By the time I was 23, it was amazing to see how God would move supernaturally in a way that was impossible in the natural. And I always go back to this. It's not because I was smart enough, not because I manipulated it, not because I had a strategy or a plan. You know what it was? It was divine opportunity that was predicated on godly obedience. And I mean, there's been feast and famine. I'm not going to tell you it's all been good. There have been days where we were flat broke. And I've been that guy. We lost a business unexpectedly, parking my car on the other side of the block, walking around hoping that it don't get repoed because it's three months late. But I got to tell you, my houses, and I didn't say this in the first, we had three of them that were in foreclosure, two cars that were being repossessed. But by the time we continued to tithe, I didn't lose a house, I didn't lose a car, and God has brought it back a hundredfold. That was back in 2003. 2004. And so I'm just telling you, I've been in the good seasons and bad seasons, but the one thing I've understood is that if I will give God what belongs to God, the first and the best, my life will be blessed. And I, you know, I empathize, which empathy is not my gift, but I do empathize with those that have never tithed. And you're sitting here and you listen to the word of God and you're like hearing it for the very first time. You mean, God, you want my first 10% of my income? Because I, I understand how many have ever had those seasons where you got more bills than money. How, how many have lived in that season for a while? And sometimes that will cause you to stop tithing because you say, God, it's irresponsible for me to tithe and give this to the church when I got a mortgage, I got a car payment, I got kids that need clothes. And what I would tell you is you're absolutely right. However, when you put God first, what's been going without the lack, the not enough, God turns your not enough into more than enough. And it's a strategy that the enemy will use to cause you to never take a step of faith. I remember launching this church and uh, I told Phyllis we, we were having interest socials in our house and I told her, look, I'm all about paying bills. I'm all about having money and savings. I'm an investor. I love business and I'll never forget I told her and uh, our kids really, if we're ever late on a bill while we're launching this church, I'm going to get a job and I'll have to do this church plant thing part-time. I never forget we did an interest social. We didn't pass plates or buckets just like we don't do it now. We had a giving center in our house. We'd done an interest social. We needed $300 to pay one of our bills. I never forget people came, people left. I didn't talk about a need. I just told God, hey, listen, I talked to Phyllis. Everybody had left. It's about 830. I said, hey, babe, I'm going to get a job. I'll go get wait tables over at Chili's. I'm going to do something because we got a bill that's going to be late tomorrow, and that's my deal with God. I'm not going to have a late bill. So we just briefly mentioned it. It wasn't 10 minutes later, somebody knocks on the door. I'm like, who in the world is that? Go open the door. They had one of the tithe envelopes from the giving center in my house and said, we prayed about it. Pastor, we want you to know you're our church. You're our pastor. This is our church. You're our pastor. Here's our tithes. And it was just enough to pay the bills that we needed paid to launch this church. And from that moment on, I'm like, 
So it's every step of faith. It's every walk of life. It's, it's in the moments where you're just like, God, you are my source. It's not about me. It's about the obedience that unlocks God's supernatural in my life. But God has to be first. Matthew 6.33 says, look, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. He didn't say second. He didn't say third. He didn't say leftover. And that's the challenge, right? When you first start tithing, it's like, God, let me have 10% left over. Well, how can you have 10% left over when the devourer has devoured? Right? You're never going to get to that place. But you know what the testimony or the story of a tither is? I can't afford not to tithe. Why? Because I know the blessings of God multiplies my not enough. And I've never been without because of the goodness of God in my life. And really, ultimately, I, I just need you to know this, you know, tithing and giving to God, whether it's legacy, heart for the house, it's not because there's a shortfall in the economy of heaven. I mean, have you thought about that? Kind of goes back to this widow. Has nothing to do with Elijah's need being met. Has nothing to do even with this church. It has to do with what God wants to do in your life. That God wants to do something supernatural. I mean, think about it. God didn't say, oh my God, I'm running out of gold. I need, I need y'all to take an offer. I need your 20 bucks to get more gold for the streets of gold. Come on, somebody. Like, what is the purpose of it then? God, why did you set this system up? And I wonder if, if you've ever read this passage. Look at this passage. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23. If it's not because God has a need, what is it? Oh, it says right here, it says the purpose. Everybody say the purpose. And I'll say the rest. Of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. Wow. Oh, so it's not even about the money. No, and that's what I love, right? 10% to a millionaire has the same value as 10% to someone who's poor. That's why he didn't put a dollar amount. Why? Because he understands there's something that's attached to that first 10% that no matter how rich you are or no matter how poor you are, there's this wrestling of am I in control of this or is my God in control of this? Am I more important or is God more important? And God just knew that that 10% would be the thing that releases him to sit on your throne of your heart. It's amazing. Well, then it's like, well, of course you are because here's the challenge with Christianity. We say he's Lord we say God is first, but this is the one area where you can actually go and check it out. Like, all you got to do is show me your bank account. And that's the way God set it up. You know, some things are a little vague, like, God, how exactly does a miracle happen? How exactly does a healing happen? But this is one spot in the scripture where God is very clear to see who's first in your life. There's no ambiguity, no gray. It's crystal clear. Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And I know some people think, well, my heart, where my heart is, that's where, no, no, no. He says, where you put your money, your heart follows. Where you invest, your time goes, your energy goes, every part of your life goes. Have you ever bought stock? I don't trade a lot of stock. Um, in fact, I don't have any right now. But there was a point where I had Ford stock. I bought a whole bunch of Ford stock and was making some investments. You know what's crazy? I never even watched the stock market until I invested in Ford. I mean, I was checking it out. I'm like, woo, they're up, woo, up and to the right. Mm. You know, I bought a Ford truck. I got a Ford Expedition. Why? Because I made an investment into this 
company, so now I care what happens to Some of you come in and out of church not caring what happens, but it's not because God's not here. It's because you're not invested. And I've seen it when I'm invested. I've, I've seen it now. We've been six and a half years. You know, people who tithe are less likely to backslide. Why? Because you're invested. There's something about it. You're connected. And so the enemy would lie to you and say, oh, well, you just give wherever, do whatever. No, no, no. God's very clear. If you want him to be the first, you got to invest in the house of God. you gotta, you got to tithe. I didn't set the system up, but I will tell you this, and I believe this with all my heart. We were brought here to break a spirit of poverty in Rosenberg, Richmond, Fort Bend County. And, and I need you to know the spirit of poverty is not about how much money's in your bank. You can be rich and have a spirit of poverty. In fact, there's a lot of rich people like that because they were so poor. They had to go make a lot of money, and this is what, it's hoard. It's, there's not enough. It's, I need more, I need more. And what God wants to do is he wants to find a church of people that he can bless. Now, you say, Pastor, does that mean I'll be a millionaire? I hope so. I don't know. Some will, some won't. It's not really about the amount of money in my bank account. It's the life and quality of life that I live while I'm on this earth. I want my marriage blessed. I want my kids. I don't need to be perfect. I just want it blessed. I don't need my kids to be perfect. just want them blessed, want it healthy. I want my relationships inside this church healthy and blessed. I want my relationships outside this church healthy and blessed. I want every area blessed. And the foundational truth is this principle of the first If this is not in the right order, no matter what you do, nothing else will be in the right order. And God, he set the precedent for us. I don't know if you've ever even thought about this, but God is the one who demonstrates this the most to us and even gives us an example. When you look at John 3, 16, he gave his first and his best. Look, for God so loved the world. What did God do because he loved? He gave. See, and sometimes we say, God, I love you, but I don't want to give to you. I'll show up. I don't need you to show up. God wants your heart. He don't need you to attend an event. He wants to have an encounter with you. And the way he does that is he gets your heart. So here God gives. He gives what? His first and his best, Jesus Christ. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God gave his first and his best. He tied to us. Isn't it amazing? That's why we get to experience salvation. It's why we get to experience the freedom that so many of us have experienced. I love the stories that Jolea shared today of people's lives being changed. How was that? That's because God gave. And I wonder this morning as we close, you know, I just want to pray over us. And I'm believing that God is moving in your heart and in your mind that, that He's doing something, even as I spoke, I really believe nuggets fell into people's hearts. What I'm asking you to do is just continue to dive in with God. Say, God, I'm going to go home and study it. Some of you, you've been tithing, that's amazing. God wants to open up other opportunities. And I can't tell you how many opportunities. It's, it's usually me giving something, time, resource. Okay, God, where's the exchange? God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to go about this? Because none of this belongs to me. Listen, you can have a nice house. You can have a nice car. You can have money and savings. The key is don't let that stuff have you. God, I'll give it away. What do you want me to do? It's it's all yours anyway. I'm just a steward. That's the blessed life. And I'm praying that God would move in our hearts that we order our lives. Some of you need to reorder your life. And it's going to cost you a move of faith. 
But I promise you this, God's setting you up for provision and protection. Father, I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for every person that's in this place. God, I have your way. Do what only you can do. God, I thank you that you are just moving supernaturally. I can feel your presence. I can feel your spirit. I pray that you would break any spirit of poverty. It's not about how much or how little is in the account. It's who owns it. And God, we give it all to you. We surrender our lives. We recognize we can't serve God and mammon. And God, we choose you. We choose you. Father, I pray that you just move. Lord, I, maybe right now I sense some of you just need to talk to God. Just talk to God. This is the response time. Maybe, maybe some of you need to repent. See, you've been paying your mortgage and your car payment, which is responsible. You've been paying that first. But the challenge is your mortgage company doesn't have the power to bless your life. Your car payment doesn't have the ability to bless your life. And so those, those seem normal and natural in the natural. God wants you to jump into the supernatural. He's the one that has the ability to bless your life. I need you to know order matters. So you say, God, I got it out of order, and I'm getting that fixed today. Some of you, God has spoken to you about giving, whether it's inside this church or outside this church, and you hesitated because it seemed a little irrational. God, you wouldn't ask me to give that. Think about Elijah. Here, he asked her to give her the last portion of sustenance, the very thing that would give this woman life. It may not be irrational. I promise you it's not the devil telling you to give that. It takes a step of faith. So what you need to do is you need to ask God, God, I'm asking you for faith. God, I'm asking you. See, I tell God all the time, God, I believe, help my unbelief. I think that's healthy. I think, I think faith and doubt are kind of married. <laughs> God tells you to take a step of faith, but I'm afraid. I'm, I'm doubting. I just say, nope, I'm, I'm going to do it. God, I believe, help my unbelief. Somebody just ask God, God, help me. And others of you, I want you to prepare your heart because God's going to speak to you. And when he does, you just go back to remember his provision and protection. God, you're doing something supernatural. Help me. And Father, I pray over every person, Lord, you bless them. Give them grace. Give them strength. Lord, as a church, we're going to move forward in your vision. But God, in order to do that, you've you got to bless your people. It's about each one individually coming into their own and Lord, we're thankful for that. Thank you that you've allowed us to be a part of your kingdom. Not even just in this church, but your kingdom globally, around the world, God, that we would represent you well. I pray that when the world sees our lives, they would be hungry and thirsty. And Lord, that we would illuminate this world with the goodness of God. That they would see you and say, wow, that looks like heaven on earth. And God, we thank you for that. Use us in a powerful way. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. I'm talking about putting God first in finances, but some of you have never put God first in your life. You've never surrendered your life to him. He's just on your list. Maybe you come to church, but you've never put him at the top of the list and said, God, I surrender everything to you and confessed him as your Lord. Right now is your moment. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're in this place, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer of surrender. You say, Pastor, I'm ready to surrender my life 100% to him. Give him everything. Let him take control. 
I wonder if you'd be bold enough just to raise your hand. Just It's an act of surrender. Right now, I'm ready right now to surrender my life. I'm ready to pray that prayer of surrender. I'm ready this morning to make that my call. Yes, 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 yes. God's working on your hearts. Yes, yes, yes. Put your hands down, church. Tell them how proud you are of them. <clears throat> Let's... Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Jesus, I need you. Save me. Forgive me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Fill me with your spirit. I give you my life. I give you my hopes. I give you my dreams. I give you everything. In Jesus' name. And everyone said.